You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to talk to you this morning about how do you handle problems in life? How do you handle the things that come. As I kind of think about the problems that come our way, I kind of, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at them and kind of divide them up and think about them, but I kind of divide them in three ways. One are just kind of practical problems. Uh, My family and I went camping, or much of my family and I went camping this weekend. We kind of canoed into place, found a campsite, and a weird fluky thing, one of the vehicles that we brought after we got there, turned it off and went to turn it back on immediately. We kind of parked on the side on the highway. It wouldn't start. And it was a busy corner on Route 30. In fact, the tractor trailer came by and began locking up his brakes. I'm like, I'm like, I really don't know why he did. I think he was just going too fast or whatever, he or she. But anyway, and that's a problem. You go out to go to work and your car doesn't start. And we were in the middle of kind of nowhere up north of Tupper Lake. Those are problems. Those are practical problems. You know, your car doesn't start, your plumbing doesn't work, you got to get this done, headaches, irritations of life. Then there are more uh, personal problems, things like your health, things that, you know, whether you get sick or you get cancer or you lose your job, just kind of things that hit you a lot more. Some of those, those early ones are kind of just annoyances. They're just little frustrating things that just you got to deal with life. The personal problems are bigger. They're personal. You know, they come at you, and they, they affect you personally, and they can, you know, affect you tremendously. And then there's a third category that I would call them people problems. Drama. Your boss doesn't like you, seems to have it in for you. Your coworker, whatever reason, thinks you're the worst person in the world. Your, your problems with your family, you know, family members, extended family, but just whatever, just people, your neighbor just coming at you. They're... It just, those are such big issues. This morning, we're going to discover that David understood problems in general, but he especially understood those people problems. As he looked out in his world, he was dealing with all kinds of situations and that, that caused him tremendous difficulty. And not only that, but he had deep betrayal in his life. He says, why? You're one of the ones that I had. We took counsel together, sweet counsel, and we walked together. And now you're stabbing me in the back in essence. So this morning, some messages that we share are meant to kind of inspire. Some are meant to encourage. This morning is really meant to kind of give you a little bit of instruction. So if you're a note taker, kind of, I'm going to give you seven things that you should do. The don'ts and the do's. We usually think about the do's and the don'ts. This is backwards. It's the don'ts and the do's because I always do things backwards, I guess. You know, that's the kind of the way I roll. But these are kind of the, the instructions. So what do you do when the problems hit? Now, I'll tell you a secret. The Olympics have just started this weekend, right? And I don't know if you're a sports fan or not or if you like those. I like some of the events. Some of them like, seriously, that's a sport? Like, I'm having trouble seeing that as the sport, but okay, all right. But uh, none of the athletes, regardless of what their sport is, do they just get up and say, you know what, I'm going to wing it today and think I'm going to be in the Olympics. They have repetitiously trained time and time and time and time again. Nothing is an accident. Nothing is coincidence. Even when they think they got it, they go over it again and again and again. Now, here's the deal. I'm not going to share anything with you this morning that you haven't heard in some other way, shape, or form from lots of other people who have read or thought of it yourself. However, these seven steps are still the things that we need to go back to when those people problems hit especially, but even in general the other problems. And I'm willing to bet 
that you and I tend to skip past some of these steps. So take your notes out, if you would, or your paper and your pen, and, uh, and get ready to take some notes. But first, let's read Psalm 55. And I'm going to read the first few verses here this morning. I have neglected to bring my glasses and my backup pair are wall, and I didn't realize that. So we're going to make the best of this. We're going to make this work. So hang with me. So the Bible says in Psalm 55, 1, it says this, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not myself from your plea or mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me. Isn't that the way trouble comes to you? Doesn't it just kind of drop on you? And in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. We're going to stop there. I want you to notice the first don't. When problems hit, and these are people problems, David is crying out to God, he's saying, God. And notice the words he used, oppression and terror and horror, and, and they've dropped on me, and anguish was within me. The first don't is when problems come your way, do not ignore anything. Don't compartmentalize, brush it aside. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can, if we're not careful, we can kind of say, oh, God's got it all under control. What's your problem? Quit crying. You know, just suck it up and deal with it. I want you to notice that David doesn't do that. David is swimming around in this. He's crying out to God, and he's pouring his heart out to God. His eyes are wide open. He's not glossing over it. He's not making light of it. He's not ignoring it. He's not acting as if it didn't happen. He's not doing sometimes, guys, what we can do is kind of compartmentalize. You know, we kind of put it in a box and put it over here in a corner and just ignore it and go deal with some other things in life. He's not... He's not trying to even do the classical today, meditate, I'm just going to compartmentalize and quiet my mind and get away from it. David is swimming knee-deep in the middle of it. He's not ignoring any of it whatsoever. The situation, he sees it, his eyes are open. In fact, later on, that we'll see that he's looking out and sees the situations and the peoples and the problems. We don't know what they are, don't even have an inkling of it, but that's not what we need to know. What we need to know is how he's handling these things and he's not only not ignoring the situation, but he's not ignoring the depth of his own heart. Notice he says, he talks about his tremblings. He talks about his, his the, 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 just the tremblings of his soul, the oppression. He says the noise of the enemy. That, and he's not talking about the enemy outside his walls. He's talking about the enemy, as we'll see, inside his walls. He's talking about his own fellow citizens and his own neighbors and his own friends who ultimately are turning against him. When we look at these words, when the Bible talks about this, the idea of uh, this anguish, see in verse 4, I think that is, when the Bible says anguish, that's the word, ladies, when you gave birth to your child, that's the pains that you went through, the deep Enter and your soul can't escape and get away from you. There's nothing that you can do about it. Anguish. And when he says, the horror overwhelms me. The word horror is the idea of kind of a, a deep, it's even more than just a trembling. It's almost what we would call today a panic attack. It's just like, I, I just, you can't, it's overwhelmed. So David is not hiding 
He's not ignoring the situation. He's not just brushing it off. But he's saying, God, I'm in, I got problems. I'm looking at the problem around me, and God, I'm barely keeping it together and holding it together in the middle of this. And God, I need some help. So the first don't is when problems come your way, is don't ignore it. Don't try to take the pop psychology. Oh, just look on the bright side or flip it over, you know, that kind of thing. Deal with it. Eyes open, walk forward into it, and recognize and begin to own and accept the emotion and the way that it's hitting you. Sometimes some of you are very aware of where you are emotionally and the effects of things and problems that they're having on you. Others of you, emotions are kind of elusive. They're like the helium balloon that begins to get away from you. You know, you're trying to understand exactly what it means. But David clearly gets the picture of what is going on inside of them. He's not afraid of it. He's accepting of it. So don't ignore any of it. Wade into it. Second thing is don't run from it. Look what the Bible goes on and says next. It goes on and says this in, in verse 6. He says, And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. Aren't you and I like that when problems hit us? Aren't you like that when the person that you think you should be able to trust turns their back on you and stabs you in the back? Don't we just kind of want to run away? I think by definition, that's what we get to the point where like, I just want a vacation. I need to, I need to go to Florida. I need to, I need to hit the beach somewhere. I need to, you know, I need to go, just go in a nice motel. I need to get a spa session or whatever. I've never been to one of those. I don't know. If, I assume they're great. I have no idea. I, I, I just, I need to get away. Isn't that what we do? David's like, I get it. He says, God, I don't like where I am. I don't like the way I'm feeling. I don't like what I'm seeing. If I could, I would just run away from all of this. Now, David ultimately is king. If he wanted to run, he could have. But he also knew that if he ran, it only made the problem worse. The problem's going to go and follow him right along with him. So we don't ignore anything. We wade into it. We accept it. We walk through it. As difficult as it is, we don't try to hide it, but we don't try to escape it. We don't try to run from it. We all have different mechanisms in our life that we go back to, do we try to escape? Technology is one of them. How many of you ever sat down and said, oh, I'm just, I'm going to, and you go brain dead, social media, or watch TV, or just start scanning through headline after headline, and after a while you're like, why am I doing this? I really don't care anything about all the celebrities that are popping up in my feed, or whatever this ridiculous stuff is that's going on. And what we're doing is we're trying to escape. Sometimes people go to other things. We can go to, you know, oh, I'll just smoke a little pot. It's legal now, right? It's okay. I'll, I'll, I just, I'll get my, my wine or my well, one to two. Well, I'll got two or three. It's not too much. I'll just, you know, and we escape. And what we're doing inside of ourselves is we're running. We're running. When problems hit, those escapes don't work. They're temporary, 
They don't solve anything, and actually they undermine us proactively being able to address something. And we'll see what to do in just a moment. But David says, God, I don't like this. I see it, and I want to run, but I'm not going to run. God, this is awful. And all the while, he's pouring out his heart to God. He recognizes inside of him is that kind of that desire. Some of you, if you have lived, you know, as you've lived your life, you know what your coping mechanism is. You know what your default is, what you go to, and the things that you feel guilty when the pressure or the problems mounts. And David's like, God, I kind of, I kind of want to run there, but I'm not going to. And the third thing that you don't do is you don't despair. And this is what keeps you from running, ultimately. David goes on and he says this. He says in verse, oh, I don't know if that's an 8 or a 9. That's verse 9. That's what the screen says. He says this. It's awful getting older. It's like, I'm so offended. I never needed glasses in my whole life, and now I can't see. This distance, I'm good after that. But up to that, ugh. He says in verse 9, Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. Now listen to what David says. God, I don't like this. I'm in turmoil. I'm in anguish. I'm, I'm all bound up. I've got a panic attack. I'm, 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 I feel awful. God, I want to run, run away. But he doesn't. Instead, in verse 9, he says, God, sick them. Destroy. Go get them, God. Destroy and divide their tongues. In other words, they're, they're having council meetings and strategy sessions. Split them up. Don't let them accomplish what they're trying to do. They're a force for evil. He says, I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it and on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. They ruin is in its midst, oppression and fraud. They're, de they're being deceitful with people and cheating people for their own good. And they do not depart from its marketplace. You see, you don't despair. When the problem hits... The problem that you and I have is, is that we wallow. We can stay in our emotions. You shouldn't ignore them, but neither should you stay in them and keep so fixated on that situation that we get to the point where we despair. David doesn't despair. He doesn't hide or try to just act like it doesn't happen. He doesn't just start ghosting people or situations or not showing up at work or whatever. Instead, he continues to stay faithful and he does something that is much more productive. He begins to pray, and he says, God, do something with it. He doesn't despair. You see, when you and I fall into that state of despairing, whether a moment, a nanosecond, or a season of life, we pragmatically, in that moment, are acting as if God doesn't exist. Even if we believe in God, we're acting like we're functioning like we're atheists, and it's almost as if God is sitting right next to us, and we're falling apart, and we're looking at the situation, what's going on, and we're all, you know, worked up and everything, and God's looking at us like, what is wrong with you? What? 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 You don't realize I'm right next to you? Like, you don't realize I'm bigger than that person? You don't realize that I'm stronger than that person? You don't realize that I'm more wisdom than that situation? You don't realize that I'm right here and that I am for you? If you turn the chapter, we won't read it today, but Psalm 56, 55 and 56 are the two that are for the summer and the psalm season that we're going through or the readings for the day. And Psalm 56 is all about that, is that God is for me. You see, when you and I fall into that state of despair, when whatever those problems are that hit us, whether they're really big or really small, when they hit us, what the size of them and what other people think truly is irrelevant, 
But we get into a place that we become despairing about the situation. We act as if God is not there, as if God is not present, as if God is on vacation, as if God doesn't care. It's as if we look at God and say, God, you are inept, you are anemic, you are not strong, you're not worth trusting in, I'm not following you, God, because I got this thing over here. God's looking at us saying, what in the world? What? See, that's why the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. And when we fall into despair as followers of Jesus, we're not trusting God in the middle of it. See, notice that trusting in God doesn't mean that you ignore your feelings. doesn't mean that you ignore the situation. doesn't mean that you never feel this, the stresses and strains and pulls and the horrors that David was feeling in his heart. You and I will always feel those. That doesn't mean that you're not trusting in God. Not trusting God is when we despair, and then therefore, now we're going to go to the do's, we don't focus on God. That's the first do. So the first three don'ts is, is you don't, you don't um, ignore anything, you don't run from it, and you don't despair. And the first do is, is you do focus on God instead. If you read Psalm 55 carefully, and I encourage you to go home and read it tonight, maybe before bed, and just kind of let it soak and settle in. I don't know as if how you read God's Word, but sometimes it's good you know, to read a lot. I know some people read vast quantities of Scripture every day, and I think that's great. But sometimes it's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. I don't know about you, but I really don't think if I want to get before a fire hydrant that's running to get a drink of water, I really is not, you know, try to fill up a little, you know, those little Dixie bathroom cups. You, know, you don't get anything in it because it's hitting you full force. Sometimes you just need to kind of let God's Word marinate and settle in your soul. Reading lots of Scripture is great. I'm not denying that whatsoever. It's awesome. But sometimes you need to let it kind of settle and soak in. And if you read this psalm carefully, David is just like, God, I'm in a mess. Go get him, God. Then he comes back, he says, and just after this, he describes the betrayal. He's like, God, but this really hurts. But God, I'm going to trust you. He's going through those, the highs and lows that you and I go through, those realities, moments when we're trusting God and focusing on Him to the lows again where all of a sudden, ah, oh, this problem is so big. But begin to focus on God. David turned to God and said, God, would you go get him? He put his heart there. You see, problems are going to be an everyday part of life. And the step that you and I need to take consciously when those problems hit is we need to see it, accept it, don't hide from it, soak it in, if you will, understand what's going on. But all of that is not for you to despair all of that is for you to know how you should respond and turn to God. And the right answer is, is God, I can't fix all of that mess that I see, but you can. God, would you go get them? So we turn to God then, and this is the second do, is we pray. You focus on God, turn your attention away, turn your head, boop, and you begin to pray. These are conscious choices that you decide. In your life, if you, I'm sure most of you have experienced this. If not, you will. There, will be, there are situations that come that it is hard for you to focus on anything else. They're big. You go to bed with it on your mind. You dream about it, and it's even worse in your dreams. You wake up, and it's there, and you, it's on, there throughout the day, and you go to bed. There are seasons of your life that way, and it's hard to do what I'm talking about. But in that process, we have to consciously, rep repeatedly turn our focus and our frame 
to God. And one of the best ways is, and this is the second do, is, is turn to Him and pray to Him. That's what David does. David started out praying to God. It's subtle in here, but he says that in verse 1, Give ear to my prayer, O God. And there in verse 9, it says, Destroy, O God. Sean, why did David pray destroy? I thought we were supposed to be all love and unicorns and rainbows and happy kisses and, you know, isn't that what it is to be a Christian? Yeah, not always. If we're really reading the Bible, not always. We are supposed to forgive, but there's an awful lot of psalms in there that are prayed, God, go get them. God, destroy. And the reason that it's okay is because David tells us that there's nothing but pure evil. He says that in verse, boy, I think that's a 15. He says, let death steal over them. Yes, it is. Let them go down to Sheol, the place of death, alive. Let them go down alive. God wants them to be buried alive? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is God, I pray that they meet an untimely and sudden death. I'm not praying that you know, they die at some time when they're 95 years old and facing hospice. God, there is such evil in their heart, I'm praying that you take them out when they're 35 in the prime of life. And it's a just prayer because in their heart is only evil. Sean, you tell me we, I need to pray that God would kill my enemies? Well, sometimes, according to this passage... I'm not going to tell you when that is and when that's not. You know, God is not like a video game that we just drive down the road. God, nuke that one, would you, because they cut me off. God, would you zap that one, because they give me a bad day. God, would you take out this person? It doesn't work that way. God is not a little game controller that just, you know, you hit the little nuclear button and you just bring rain down on somebody's life when things are going on. But there are times where it is okay. God, would you protect me and would you deal with that situation? It's okay. His prayer was very focused. See, that's why he didn't despair. He knew that God was a just God, knew that God was bigger than all of it. And he said, God, I'm seeing all of this. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Here's what I'm seeing, and here's what it's doing to me. God, I can't do anything about it, but you can. You can. Read the verses before that. He says, for if it's not an enemy who taunts me, it is not an enemy that taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it's you, old man. You go through this, right? Don't you have conversations with that person when you're alone, when you're, that comes down in your heart? He's having that conversation with them, but it's in a prayer to God. He says, it's you. You're not, this is not my enemy. You're a man, my equal, my companion, my, my familiar friend, my good friend, we would say. We used to take sweet counsel together. You've been in my house. I've been in your house. We've hung out, and not just as buddies, but like we've worked together closely. And we used to do it within God's house. We walked in the throng. In, the, in other words, we worshiped together in the midst of all the people. You see, David experienced betrayal at a deep level. He experienced betrayal from somebody that was close to him. And he's saying, God... There's no way out. Would you take them out of the picture? Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. You see, you and I, when those problems hit, sometimes we despair because we really think God isn't going to act. 
Well, we really somehow either miss that God is a just God or that God is powerful, that God wants to deal with that, and we stay stuck in the middle of it. But you and I, when we begin to turn our focus back toward God and we begin to then pray, our prayers are not necessarily always little roses, if you will. Very often it, it is. God, would you bless them? God, God, help me to forgive and all of that. But David's praying, God, this, this injustice and evil is flooding the city and even my own close friend is betraying me. God, would you act? And would you begin to deal with that? God, guys, there's okay for there's times in your life for that to be the prayer. Next thing you need to do is then you cast your cares upon God. So you focus on God, you pray, and you give God your cares. He says in verse 16, But I call to the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and my moan. He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. Do you get the picture? It's like, here's the mess, but oh, wait a minute. God is a just God. He's going to save me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to deliver me. And he begins to pray. He begins to remind himself of exactly who God is. And then he ultimately casts his care upon God. He says in verse 22, he says, Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He tells us that we should go from just the, 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 the focusing and praying toward Him to where we give our burden to Him. Peter later said that. He said, Cast all your cares upon Him, talking about God, Give Him your cares. Give Him your burdens. Give Him the things that pressurize you. Give Him the things that cause you tremors. Give Him the things that cause you anxieties and woes and worries. Give them to Him. Cast your burdens, your cares upon the Lord. And here's why. For He cares for you. Give them to Him because He turns around and cares for you. Peter didn't invent that. God spoke that through David. He said, give your burden on the Lord. And here's why. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That means you and I are not nearly as vulnerable as we think that we are. He says, give it to Him. You know what casting your burden is? It's, it's kind of like when you throw the ball whether it's a football or you throw a baseball, you're like, here, you take this. It leaves you and it goes to the other person. That's what it means. It means, God, this burden that's on me, I'm going to give it to you. It's almost like the mail. We get mail in our house. There's now with all of my kids older, they get their own mail. Thankfully, they get their own bills. It's a beautiful thing. It's great. It's a beautiful thing when they get their own bills and they have their own job, their own money to pay for their own bills, right? I should probably follow up with that. I mean, most of the stuff that comes in, I'm like, yeah, that's not for me. That's not for me. So, yeah, it belongs to somebody else. It's just like that. God, this one's yours. It's got your name on it. This burden is yours. We're to give it to him. Because He's the one who sustains us. You see, that's why we despair is we think that we can't make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to come apart. I'm going to fall apart. No, you're not. Well, you might fall apart, but if you give God your burden, He's going to sustain you. 
But you've got to give it to him. Too often what we do is we say, God, this is yours, and it's almost like there's a string attached, and we whip it back out of God's hands. It's almost like we throw it, and then you know we pull it midair back to us, and we don't know how to live without holding on to it. In fact, I've seen individuals and families, their life is almost like that. It's almost like their identity is living with the crises, that they don't know how to live in peace and to give it away. And we as followers of Jesus should say, wait a minute, God, this is yours. I'm going to trust you, God, as best as I can. I'm, I'm handing this one over to you. We may need to do it a bunch of times, but we give it to him. And the reason that we give it to him is because in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says is that we have a high priest. His name is Jesus. And he is a man just like we are people, flesh and blood. He's the son of God, but he's also man combined. And that's another explanation, another sermon, another time. But he lived his life just as you and I did with all of the troubles, with all the temptations, with all of the woes that you and I did. And yet he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave on the third day. And the Bible says that he entered into heaven itself. And so we, we have one who's, been, who's lit, walked in our shoes, lived in our world, lived life on this earth with all of the push and the pull and the strain and all of the capital P problems that you and I go through. And we have one that we can turn to that we give Him all of these. You see, it's through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins that gives us that relationship with God and gives us that so that we can in turn give them to Him. That He, he accepts us as His children when we trust Him as our Lord and our Savior. And He forgives our sin, but what He also promises to take is not just our sin, but He promises to take our, our burdens and our cares and our woes and all of it. And it's a blank check, guys. It's whatever causes us woe. Sometimes you, you and I are being honest with ourselves. We're like, why am I just such a baby? I, this shouldn't be getting me like this. And we feel a little sheepish about it. We don't need to. It's a blank check. Whatever those woes are, we give to God. Whether they're big or little or medium size, whatever color they might be, whatever is going on, that he says, give them to him. If they're a bother to us, whether they're a little annoying gnat or whatever, is that we give them to him because he promises and says that as we are his righteous, that means that those who are saved, those who are forgiven of their sins, those are the ones who are redeemed, we will never be moved. Never. That is a clear something we can stand upon, something that we can have guaranteed, something that will help us to get our focus on back on God and say, wait a minute, this isn't going to rock me and sink my boat. This isn't going to, I'm not going to hit this wall head on and be the end of the world. Wait a minute. I'm going to give my care to God because God promises to never move me, to never let me be moved. He says, in the last verse, he says this, but you, O oh God, you will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. It's a truism, not necessarily in every single case. There's been some pretty awful people who lived in this world pretty long lives. But what David is saying is, wait a minute. I know how this works. I know that the evil that God will bring to an end. 
and they won't live out half their days. You see, David prayed to God because he believed not only God could do something, but God would do something. He trusted him in the middle of that. And he put his care upon God. And he trusted him as he prayed. And then the last step, and this is step seven, and it's important for you, and it's a small thing, it's a big thing. But he finishes it, and he says, but I will trust in you. Does God know everything? The answer to that is yes. Did God know David was going to trust in him? Yes. God was, David was saying that because he was reminding himself what he was going to do. He's saying, in essence, we are going to trust God. We are not going to fall apart in this. God, I trust you. Remind yourself to simply trust in God. I was talking with a buddy of mine recently. He's uh, going to be a chaplain in the army, and uh, he's a good one. And he's a pastor right now in Massachusetts. We've been friends for years. Got two little kids. I think he's, I think he's maybe 35 years old, something like that. Still fairly young. And um, and anyway, we were talking. I was just asking how the move's going. It's a big deal, you know, to to move halfway across the country and all that, and how it was affecting his wife and kids and selling houses and. He said, oh, man, everything's good, everything's good. But he says, you know, he says, I go through some things, and I think, okay, good, I finally got that lesson down. I'm good to go, I'm ready. And then the next thing hits, and I'm like, what happened? I feel like I'm starting all over again and having to trust God in all this difficulty. I said, man, I'm with you there, too. Isn't that the way it is in reality? There's nothing in here that I've shared with you that is earth-shattering, that is just like, oh, my goodness, Sean, that is phenomenal. But how often... When the things hit that you and I just simply forget to say, wait a minute, I'm wallowing too long in these problems. And I'm not putting my focus on God. You'll never survive your problems well, and you'll never live as you should until you start focusing God. And how often do we pray but not pray these kinds of prayers? And how often do we really not give God our burden? And then how often do we not even just remind ourselves, wait a minute, I need to trust God i got to trust God in this. God, I'm going to trust you. And the next day, God, I'm going to trust you today too. When we go to bed, God, I'm trusting you. God, I am going to trust you in this situation. Remind yourself to trust in the God who is there, the trust in the God who's not even, not just beside you, but who's inside of you, the Bible says, through the Holy Spirit, and you will never, ever be moved. Folks, if you do these seven steps... I don't care however you have to remember them, follow them, write this psalm down. Psalm 55 and 56, today's reading, both of them are all about God being present to help you in your, your life, what you're walking through. Now, some of you are like, well, Sean, the Bible's not about you. It's all about God. I think you ladies, your, your Bible study is learning about that. And it's absolutely right. 100% true. The Bible is about God. This world is not about us. But in its being about God, God still comes around and says, yeah, but I love you. I'm going to do this for you, so make your life about me. You know, Give me your burden. Trust me in the middle of this. When you and I stay fixated on all the problems, what we're doing is we're making life about us, and we're acting as if we're the ones who really are smart enough and that should be able to figure it out. And we finally hit something so big that we can, and we're, we're stressed and we're falling apart about it. 
And really, what he's telling us in this whole passage is, is guys, make your life about me. Trust me. Give me your burden. Focus on me. Yeah, you're going to deal with all of that stuff, but keep your eyes over here. Pray to me. Have your confidence in me. And whatever your dreams and things and the heartaches you're going through, make me your priority, and I'll take care of the rest of the stuff. And when we live that way, what we do at that point is say, okay, God, however that plays out, whatever you want to do is fine by me. Whether it's a small nuisance, whether it's really difficult, or whether it's unbelievably difficult, however God dresses it, it's okay, because he's got it. That's the way we should live our life, guys. That's the way that we handle the the push and the pull and the problems, the big ones, the huge ones, and all the ones in between, and the people problems especially, which are so insidious. Health issues, we may not like it. We find out we have cancer, we may find out we can't read very well and drives us crazy. At some point, we just, there's life and can't do a lot about it. The people stuff is what really drives us and really hurts us. And it's the close ones where we feel betrayed our own kids, our own spouse, our parents, the ones that we even as adults grow up and realize sometimes kids have had things done to them that they have to grow up and realize that they were betrayed when they were younger and have to call that out and work through all this stuff as an adult looking back in the rearview mirror. It's the same process, same journey, whether this hits you with something in your past, whether it hits you something currently in your life, it's the same exact step. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my focus on you. And God, I'm praying. And God, would you deal appropriately with that person? God, and if you're at a spot like, I don't know if God should kill him or not or whatever, then say, God, I don't know what you should do, but would you please deal with that? And I'm going to trust you. Whatever you want to do works for me. I'm good but God, would you address it? Let that be your prayer. And you walk forward living a life that trusts Him, and living in a life full of confidence and stability, and a life that honors Him, and a life that when the, the problems come, that they really what they do is they point you back to God rather than driving a wedge between you and God, saying, God, how could you let this happen? God, I don't understand why you're being so mean. God, I don't know why this is going on. God's like, I'm not being mean. Just turn and trust me. I want you to, to be closer. I'm actually trying to use this in a, in a good way to make you rest and to help you to learn that I've got you. I've got you in my hand, and I will take care of you no matter what. So folks, when the problems hit, turn your attention over here and trust the God who cares because he cares for you. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his salvation. Lord, I thank you that you're a God who cares and to whom we can turn, the one we can trust. And God, I thank you that you have given us a blank check that whatever our burdens may be, now Lord, sometimes I know those burdens are things that we've caused ourselves. Sometimes they're sin, and you don't give us a blank check for that. You're not going to enable us to keep going down that road. But Father, even then, 
when we come to our senses and realize we've sinned and rebelled against you, when we confess that, you have a way of helping us endure, helping us to live through the natural results and consequences and experience your grace and your renewal. And God, I pray for that. I pray that you would help us as a people to have the habit over and over and over again, the repetition of an Olympic athlete to simply walk these steps, to not ignore things, to stop trying to run and just cope with them in our own ways, to stop despairing, but instead to focus on you, to pray, give you our burden, and to continue to trust you. Father, I pray that would be our muscle memory, our repetition, our repetitive heart of how we walk through life's problems. Help us, Father, make that reality, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.